Can you dream of a world immune to cancer? Hello everyone, my name is Nick and I'm the host of the annual live stream for The Cure where content creators and podcasters from around the world join me to raise money for the Cancer Research Institute and Immunotherapy Research, which is training the body's immune system to fight against all forms of cancer. Over the past seven years, thanks to the power of indie podcasters and the indie podcasting community and listeners just like you listening to this right now, we have raised over $90,000. And as I record this now, the eighth annual live stream for The Cure is barreling down upon us really, really quickly in just about two weeks. So join us, please, from May 29th through June 1st for 48 hours of amazing content from people all over the world and help us fight for a world immune to cancer. I'll now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Thank you so, so much. And together, we can make a difference. You're tearing me apart, him! In a world overflowing with movies, we need a hero. Someone to separate the bad from the good. Hi everyone, my name is Sam and I am the host of the podcast Movie Reviews in 20 Qs and I am here to welcome you to a very special episode of the inimitable, unparalleled, amazing podcast that is Verbal Diorama. And this week guys, it's doubly special for you guys because you not only get The Room, but you also get The Disaster Artist. Now, you guys know this podcast. This is the podcast that's all about the history and legacy of movies you know and movies you don't. I would sing that legitimately if I had the music, but I don't have it. Uh, maybe I should play it back with the music, re-record it. Nah, who cares? I need to get to the most important part, which is that I am actually the reason this episode exists. See, I've been hounding him, just trying to persuade her, threatening her. I mean, um, uh, just, just like convincingly arguing why she should watch The Room. And now she has. And she's loved it so much that she then went out and watched The Disaster Artist. Now, she's saying I forced her. That's not true. I did not force her. It's not true. It's bullshit. I did not force her. I did not. Oh, hi, Nick. Oh, hey, Sam. What's up? I'm Nick from Nikolai's Kitchen, also here to welcome you to episode. Because two is great, but three is a crowd. <laughs> this is special bonus episode to celebrate 100 episode of Verbal Diorama. Anything for my princess. Oh man, I just can't figure women out. Sometimes they're just too smart. Sometimes they're just flat out stupid. Other times they're just evil. Not M though, she's only two of those things. And amazing. <laughs> what a story, Nick. You two are acting like children. Why are you so hysterical? I just like to watch you guys. <laughs> uh, I'm mixing my quotes up there, but you get the gist. Hi everyone, I'm Em and welcome to Verbal Diorama episode 101, The Room and the Disaster Artist. This is the podcast that's all about the history and legacy of movies you know and movies you don't and you do not need to adjust your podcast app. This is a very special episode, and so I had to get some special people involved. 
Originally, I had an idea for this episode, which kind of got a bit scuppered. And then I thought, oh, it's fine. I'll just have no episode post-break week because I've been on a break week last week. And then Sam Hurley happened. Because this episode is truly down to Sam from Movie Reviews in 20Qs. Sam has been instrumental in this episode, even existing in the first place. So I had to get him to introduce it. And Nick from Nikolai's Kitchen, the most positive man in podcasting. Nick is a huge fan of this movie, The Room. And honestly, a lot of our group DMs, me and Sam and Nick, we have we have group DMs. And they've purely been The Room gifts for such a long time. I'm so grateful to both Sam and Nick because... They were so on board to be involved with this episode. When I said to Sam that I was going to do it, I always kind of had this idea that he would be involved and then to get Nick involved as well. I adore them for being so up for being involved in this. Obviously, Movie Reviews and 20 Qs and Nicolas Kitchen, two exemplary podcasts. One is about asking weird questions and the other is trying to convert me from my vegetarianism. But seriously, please support and listen to those podcasts. Like I say, those guys are such excellent sports, are so willing to do whatever I ask of them. They are very much the perfect men in so many ways. But wait, two's great, but three's a crowd. Turns out, when it comes to wonderful men, I love a crowd. <laughs> because finally, the one and only Greg Sestero agreed to do an interview with me about his time working on The Room and also on his book, The Disaster Artist, which obviously the movie The Disaster Artist was based on. Greg Sestero is one of the main actors in The Room. So I was just completely so over the moon when he agreed to do this. This is one hell of a special episode. So it's actually going to be less of me and more of Sam, Nick and Greg. You're welcome. Johnny is a successful bank executive who lives quietly in a San Francisco townhouse with his future wife, Lisa. One day, putting aside any scruple, she seduces Johnny's best friend, Mark. From there, nothing will be the same again. That is an awful synopsis, by the way. I borrowed that from IMDb. It's, I mean, it really, actually, it kind of does tell you everything about The Room. We'll quickly go through the cast of The Room. Tommy Wiseau as Johnny, Juliet Danielle as Lisa, Greg Sestero as Mark... Philip Haldeman as Denny, Carolyn Minnett as Claudette, Robin Paris as Michelle, Scott Holmes as Mike, Dan Janjigian as Chris R, Kyle Vogt as Peter, and Greg Ellery as Stephen. And this movie was written, directed, produced by and stars Tommy Wiseau. And the disaster artist, so the synopsis for that. When Greg Sestero, an aspiring film actor, meets the weird and mysterious Tommy Wiseau in an acting class, they form a unique friendship and travel to Hollywood to make their dreams come true. And that movie stars Dave Franco as Greg Sestero, James Franco as Tommy Wiseau, Seth Rogen as Sandy Schler, Alison Brie as Amber, Hannibal Buress as Bill Mura, Ari Grainer as Juliette Danielle, Melanie Griffith as Jean Shelton, Josh Hutchison as Philip Holderman, Jason Manzoukas as Peter Anway, Megan Mullaney as Mrs. Sestero, June Diane Raphael as Robin Paris, Jackie Weaver as Carolyn Minnett, Sharon Stone as Iris Burton, and Zac Efron as Dan Janjigian. Also features cameos by Judd Apatow, Bob Odenkirk, Paul Shear, Randall Park, and also as themselves being interviewed, Kristen Bell, Ike Barinholtz, Adam Scott, 
Keegan-Michael Key, Lizzie Kaplan, Danny McBride, Zach Braff and J.J. Abrams. Brian Cranston also appears as himself in the movie. The screenplay for The Disaster Artist was by Scott Newstadter and Michael H. Weber. It was based on The Disaster Artist, My Life Inside the Room, The Greatest Bad Movie Ever Made by Greg Sestero and Tom Bissell. And it was directed by James Franco. And this is a very unique position for this podcast because the history and legacy of The Room is depicted mostly accurately in The Disaster Artist. And if you have watched The Room but not The Disaster Artist, I would highly recommend that you do so, and kind of vice versa, actually. Not necessary, but definitely gives an additional layer of interest to the two movies. And The Room is often called one of the worst movies ever made. It is also called The Citizen Kane of Bad Movies. It has a reputation for being completely terrible in a completely terrible way. Honestly, one of the reasons why I initially said to Sam that I wouldn't do this episode was I was so insistent that I didn't want to see it because I'd heard how bad it was. And then I told Sam that I would watch the movie and I did watch the movie and immediately I had to do an episode on it. I had to talk about this movie because it feels special in so many ways whilst also being a truly bad movie. And and some might say, and I think they'd be you know, mostly accurate, that it's intentionally bad. This movie has achieved cult status. It's adored by its fans. And I get it. I get that now. I 100% understand. I love this movie immediately. If, If it had a plot, it would have a plot that's riddled with holes. It's got outlandish dialogue. There's unresolved character arcs. There's random shots of San Francisco every five minutes. There's inexplicable personality changes. There's tonal shifts. There's a breast cancer storyline. There's literally one line in the movie and that gets completely forgotten about. Characters that appear and disappear at random. Badly dubbed ADR. Many, 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 many gratuitous and long sex scenes. But here's the thing. I'm going to keep my stupid comments in my pocket because I legitimately adore this movie every bad line, every questionable direction. The Room has notoriety and longevity, unlike any other bad movie. And to be fair, unlike any good movie, really. This is the true defining classic of midnight cinema. The Room has bred a legacy of positivity, of the idea that chasing your dream is never a bad thing, with Tommy Wiseau's character of Johnny, the only truly pure and innocent being in a cast of otherwise unscrupulous, cheating, lying characters. And Tommy Wiseau, he is the eccentric, kind of eclectic man of mystery. Like I say, he wrote, produced, starred and directed. I mean, he's still as much of an enigma now as he ever was. He reportedly self-financed the movie. He didn't care about costs either. He regularly replaced cast and crew, built sets, purchased equipment instead of renting it, and took days to shoot scenes that literally lasted minutes. All of which, by the way, is depicted in The Disaster Artist, which is, even without comparison to The Room, a really good movie and an absolutely fascinating movie in its own right. I watched The Room on a Sunday and then The Disaster Artist the following day. And like I say, this episode is pretty much immediately born after watching The Disaster Artists. So for a change, I'm not here to talk about the history of The Room. The legacy of The Room is way more fascinating than the actual movie. It's had international fan screenings with people turning up in costume, throwing spoons and footballs. And you'll get that if you've seen the movie, because spoons and footballs are two items that are prevalent in the movie. 
as well as throwing quotes. I've popped as many quotes as I can in this episode, just because the movie's dialogue might be bad, but it's so quotably bad. And the other thing that's so fascinating about this movie is that the people who made it are so proud of it, and they should be proud of it. Midnight screenings, as I say, they started popping up. A lot of them were actually generated by Tommy Wiseau himself. And he's attended a lot of these midnight showings. Greg Sestero's attended some. You'll hear in the interview that's going to be coming up shortly about how much he enjoys going to those events. His book, The Disaster Artist, which was co-written by Tom Bissell, details his experiences making The Room. That was published in 2013. Sandy Schler, who insists that he should receive a co-director credit, wrote his own book called Yes, I Directed the Room, The Truth About Directing with Citizen Kane of Bad Movies. That was published in 2017. And the reason for that is that Tommy Wiseau became very engrossed in his acting and basically kind of left the direction to Sandy Schler. He claims that he stepped up to direct anyway. Uh, this was despite the fact that he left the production early. This is also depicted in The Disaster Artist. So like I say, if you haven't, if you've seen The Room but not The Disaster Artist, then please go and watch it because it is truly such a great movie. There's also a Canadian documentary called A Room Full of Spoons, which was given a brief release. And then Tommy Wiseau started legal proceedings, citing copyright infringement and defamation. This lawsuit was dismissed and Wiseau had to pay almost one million Canadian dollars in countersuit damages and lost revenue. But really, if we're going to talk about the disaster artist, we need to talk about the man who wrote the disaster artist. So I contacted Greg Sestero with a bit of a push from Sam because Sam has spoken to Greg before and he said, contact Greg. He's really nice. I'm sure he'll be up for it. And I thought, nah, um, there's no way I'm going to get this guy. But I contacted him and he got back to me. And not only did he get back to me, he said that he would be quite happy to chat with me. So a couple of weeks ago, it was a Tuesday evening, I had a Skype chat with Greg. He was such a wonderful, lovely, warm person. Uh, I explained to him it was my first ever interview for this podcast. And I think actually... He was quite chuffed that I chose him to be the first. And he genuinely was such a wonderful person to speak to. We had a lovely little chat before I started recording. We had a lovely little chat afterwards. So anyway, without further ado, here is the interview that I had with Greg Sestero, where we talk about the room, we talk about the disaster artist, we talk about the ongoing legacy of both. And we also talk about Greg Sestero's very own obligatory Keanu reference. Uh, a special treat for everyone listening to Verbal Diorama now because I am delighted to be joined by the actor who plays Mark in the room and who also co-wrote The Disaster Artist, Greg Sestero. Hi, Greg. Thank you so much for being here. It's great to be here. How are you? I am awesome. I'm so excited to have you. Um, this is the first interview that I've ever done on Verbal Diorama. And I mean... Honestly, I couldn't think of a better person to be interviewing. So this is incredible. Thank you so much. Absolutely. No, I, it's a it's a good way to start. You're interviewing somebody who, you know, somehow survived the making of the worst movie ever made and is still uh, <laughs> still laughing. Well, I mean, I I'll I'll give you a little bit of uh, of history for me. Um, I actually only saw the room a few weeks ago for the first time. 
Um, and then immediately the day after, I watched The Disaster Artist. Um, and and to be perfectly honest, I was kind of, because uh, Verbal Diorama as a, as a podcast, I'm always known for being really positive about the things that I cover on this, on this podcast. Um, and I guess with The Room, I think it is obviously known as one of the worst films ever made, but I kind of didn't really see it like that. I just kind of saw uh, actually something that was really charming and and kind of a little bit enticing. It kind of really grabs you in <laughs> with with everything that's going on. Um, and um, yeah, I guess I kind of got from it the the determination to succeed and to make your own destiny and. And that regardless of who you are or where you come from or your age or whatever, that your dreams matter. And that's kind of the overarching uh, thing that I actually got from The Room. So I've actually kind of become a little bit obsessed now with, with The Room and everything to do with it. And, and I guess, well, I suppose the first thing that I need to ask you is, I mean, how, do you, how does it make you feel knowing that The Room, obviously often quoted as one of the worst movies ever made, is, is still being discovered and still resonates with viewers. That must be incredible for you. Yeah, it's, I mean, it, what's, what's crazy about, you know, creating is, is you feel that you have a story to tell or you want to tell stories. And then we got to go through the whole, you know, machine of, of filtering that out. Is someone going to give me a chance to do that? Um, you know, and you got to go through that process and it's kind of infuriating. So, you know, what's great is, you know, a lot of people try to take it into their own hands and put their work out there. And a lot of times, you know, unfortunately no one sees it, but with this movie, um, you know, it was, it was really a film that had no chance of succeeding if you look at it, you know, realistically. And I think, um, I think it's really incredible that, you know, little by little, it was a movie nobody wanted, but the people loved it so much and found it so fascinating that the people have kept it alive now for almost 20 years. And around the world, it's like young. I went to New Zealand and there were like 11 or 12 year olds that that just love it and get a kick out of it. And so there's something there that that works, you know, Um and as somebody who's who's made films and been in films since, it's like the room is just something that people want to keep coming back to and want to quote and want to dissect mm -hmm. and know more about. And that just doesn't happen very often. Um, so I know like the tagline, the worst movie ever made or whatever, it's kind of a joke. But, you know, sitting back as somebody who has loved movies, who has wanted to be in movies and, and what the room has done over 18 years around the world, it's just like I just kind of I'm, I'm amazed and it continues to to blow my mind that it shows we don't really know anything, you know, any, you take this script or this story to any studio and they're going to say, you know, get lost, but then it's put out into the world and the people support it. And, and, and they're, you know, they're, they're really crazy about it. And it means a lot to them. You know, I'll, I'll go to places where people will have like, Oh, high Mark tattoos. Um, <laughs> and it just makes them feel alive in a way that you really hope when you make art that it would make them feel that way. Um, you know, so however you got there, I mean, ideally you want to make something that is celebrated for the right reasons and acclaimed. But at the end of the day, it's either it affects people or it doesn't. And, and I think you just got to be happy with the fact that 
this movie has brought people together. It's 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 brought couples together. People have gotten married. People have named their kids after it. So I just think, you know, in that regard, that's what I focus on is the positivity that it's brought into people's lives. Oh, absolutely. And and, and it really has, um, you know, even for me in the short period of time since I saw it. Uh, I mean, I only saw it because uh, a friend of mine, uh, Sam, who's probably listening to this episode, uh he kept saying to me, you need to watch this movie. And and he, he was the one who said, you need to watch this movie and you need to do an episode on it. And originally I said, I was like, no, I, d- I don't think I want to watch this movie. And he was like, no, 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 you should. You need to watch it. You know, you need to understand what this movie is. And, um, and yeah, so not only... So basically the reason that you're here is because of Sam. And he, <laughs> I mean, he's delighted, by the way, that he's uh, he's influenced this podcast in such a way. But um, he, well, uh, <laughs> you actually know Sam as well. You've actually spoken to Sam. He's um, he's from the Movie Reviews in 20 Qs podcast. Um, oh, that's great. That's great. Yeah. 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 I remember. Yeah. So. Um, so, yeah, he he not only got me to watch The Room, um, he also got me to um to watch the disaster artist as well afterwards and he got me to do an episode on it and he was the one who suggested that I get in touch with you so <laughs> so basically it's kind of all down to him really that, uh, that it's going but it, it is that kind of really positive influence like all we do now when we message each other is we message each other gifts from the room uh just in general conversation it always ends with like a gif of something from the room so it really has kind of uh, wormed its way into our friendship um and and it just seems to me that so many people get so much joy out of this movie um i mean you mentioned that um you know that it's quotable and stuff like that uh i mean the, the, the amount of gifts out there with quotes is is just mind-blowing how many quotes are out there um i i assume quite a lot of people will come up to you and and you know like you say do the old high mark um is, is that the most common quote that you get uh, or, or are there any others that you get quite a lot? Like, I mean, there's one particular one that's quite embarrassing <laughs> that, that, uh, the, that Johnny says to you in a coffee shop. Um, do you ever get that one <laughs> on a regular basis? Yeah, it's funny. I was in Norway and uh, in the airport and I had an early flight and I got off the flight and I was just, you know, kind of groggy and walking through the quiet airport and this guy came up from behind me and he's like so anyway how's your sex life and I kind of look at him <laughs> and we both had a moment and it was reminding me so much of fight club where they're like you're not you know first rules you don't talk about <laughs> outside of screenings and so he kind of laughed and he told me that you know in the winter time they all get high up you know in the mountains and watch the room and I just you know the train just kept getting crazier and I'm thinking now you know it's all the way up, you know infiltrated all the way up here in Norway so um yeah it's just the quotes find their way into your life um usually oh hi mark is is kind of the norm which i get i'm sure if i had never uh seen the room um i mean if i wasn't in the room i probably would that's probably what i would say so (laughs) but it's always funny you know that yeah how how random people have have discovered it and it's just like you know people are always like oh i'm sure you don't want to hear that but you know as a movie lover it's like hey if that if that does it for you, then, you know, obviously we did something right. So uh, it's all good. Well, that's the thing. I mean, I, 
I kind of alluded to the quote because I was kind of a little bit like, I don't really want to ask this guy about about his sex life because that to me, I mean, I'm I'm British, so you know yeah. we, we don't tend to really kind of go into those sorts of conversations anywhere. We're quite reserved. So I was like, I don't really want to ask that question. But I do kind of want to know what he's being asked, uh, quoted uh, from this movie. Um, if it's OK, I'd like to talk a little bit about the disaster artist as well, because obviously, well, first of all, you co-wrote the book, The Disaster Artist, which was based on your time working with Tommy Wiseau on The Room and basically how that movie came about. Um, and it's I mean, it's quite a fascinating story. And I think that's why the disaster artist, the, the movie, um, I mean, that kind of, I think, opened up a whole new a whole new world, I guess, for you uh, from being in the room to writing this book to then essentially being part of the movie, The Disaster Artist. But when Seth Rogen's production company acquired the rights to The Disaster Artist, did anyone from the production come and see you personally about adapting it? Did you have much input? Um, and and how, kind of how did all that really come about for you? Yeah, we had some really good good talks. We had a, a really funny conference call with Tommy um, and and James and Tommy saying, you know, you know, I see some of your movie, James. You know, some are good, some are bad. You know, and I, I was like trying to steer the conversation in the best possible way, and I suggested. You know, James played Tommy, and Tommy luckily uh, was happy with that. But uh, no, it was a, it was a really great process. I you know, from the day that I started writing the book, I thought this this could be a movie like Sunset Boulevard or Ed Wood, and that's what I envisioned. And you know, people thought I was kind of crazy because they're like, "Who's going to want to read a book about a bad movie and then adapt that book into a movie?" You know, it just seemed kind of kind of insane, but. It was about three weeks after the book came out, uh, we got a call from, you know, there were James Franco and Seth Rogen were making the interview and they had, you know, came across the book and read it and really responded to it. So, um, I mean, it was great. It was, it was, you know, getting a chance to have your story made into a good film was definitely, you know, a very redemptive feeling. And the whole process was really cool. I got to work with the production designer and kind of recreate what my bedroom looked like, what I wore in the late nineties, a lot of bad outfits. And, um, they really wanted to, uh, to detail the story exactly how it happened. And it was such a group of passionate, talented actors that had so much fun making it, but also worked extremely hard. So the whole process, it just seemed like everyone had a great time making that movie and i would you know go visit the set and watch sharon stone play my agent from the time which was very surreal and i got to meet you know brian cranston and bob odenkirk um i'm a huge breaking bad fan so that was um even more exciting so it was uh the whole thing was a very therapeutic unbelievable experience and then the fact that the movie on top of that turned out good and people really liked it was um you know, was the cherry on top. But, you know, so many times books get optioned and talked about being made into movies and, you know, it doesn't happen. So I was very grateful that, you know, it all it all came to be and, and got the proper release. Yeah. And, and, and it is such a fantastic movie, I think, because it, it had Oscar buzz as well, didn't it? So uh, and it's, 
like you say, James Franco, Dave Franco, Seth Rogen, you mentioned Sharon Stone, Zac Efron's in there as well. It's it's a proper stacked cast. Um, it's also got interviews with the likes of Kristen Bell about how much she loves the room, uh, all of these like little sound bites from people. So it, it actually must be really rewarding for you to not only be involved in a project like The Room, uh, and obviously, you know, your years, years and years long friendship with Tommy Wiseau, and and to kind of have so much positivity, like we've kind of already said, come out of that singular experience. Um, it, it just, it must be kind of the gift that keeps on giving for you to kind of keep going through and I'm, and I'm sure that you've you've sat through a lot of interviews like this one and kind of said the same things over and over. And I do apologise for that, by the way, that I'm probably repeating what other people have asked you. But I just like I say, I, I find that the experience of the room to to be such a positive experience. Um, and, and do you feel like the disaster artist obviously being as good as it was? Do you think that also gave more positivity to the room? as an experience. Yeah, I think it gave people a lot more perspective to to the journey that, you know, I took, that Tommy took, you know, trying to get into movies and be an actor. I think they realized, you know, a lot of people think it's easy making a movie and then, you know, you got to go out and do it and you have no idea what's going to come of that. And I thought that was, you know, not only funny but also kind of inspiring for a lot of for a lot of artist types. And you know, when I, you know, when I saw the disaster artist, when I saw the rough cut early on, I remember, you know, I was, I liked it so much. I was like, you know what, it makes me want to try to make a movie again. And then that's what, you know, I, I wrote this script called best friends for Tommy and I to work together because we hadn't done anything since the room. And so, you know, that's how much the disaster artist inspired me even is that I was like, okay, now I want to go out and try to make a movie. And so we ended up making another movie called Best Friends that we premiered at the Prince Charles in London. And, um, you know, and I thought, I think that's great. And hopefully, it, you know, this story does that for a lot of people or it pushes them to to pursue, whether it's music or writing, to go out there and just try to make that project you want to make because you don't know, um, you know, you don't know where, where it could land. Well, that actually comes on quite nicely to my next question, because I was going to ask you about Best Friends, because um, obviously you wrote, produced and starred in that. Um, and, and I saw on IMDb as well, it says you're currently filming a movie called Big Shark with Tommy Wiseau. Um, I know I was just wondering if you could kind of go a little bit into, uh, well, you've obviously gone a little bit into Best Friends, but could you tell us a little bit about Big Shark and, and kind of anything about that? So, yeah, that was just a teaser trailer that uh, we shot. Um, it's not it's not a movie. Um, we uh, when we were going to make best friends, we shot a concept trailer, a few scenes, then released it as like a joke. And then people really were really receptive to it. So we went and made the film. And so Tommy liked that idea that I had done for best friends. So he's like, you know, let's let's just, you know, shoot a couple scenes for, you know, release a sh the shark trailer. But it was. Um, so it's just a, a trailer at the moment. But, um, you know, the past year I did write and direct a, a new horror film that uh, will hopefully come out later this year uh, about cults. I've always been fascinated by cults, especially, um, you know, with the room, like, like people, you know, it took one person 
this film this film student named Michael Rousselet who discovered the room and he spread it and spread it all around LA and it was like it started with that so it's like those seeds of devotion have always fascinated me and so um so that's what I've been working on that's actually finished um so hopefully that'll come out either later later this year or next year um but that's kind of the direction that I'm looking to go in is more like the horror genre Right. Okay. That's really interesting um, because obviously horror is, it, it's kind of been exploding um, for, for quite a few years, hasn't it? Especially like you say, like um, folk horror, cult horror, that sort of thing um, seems to really be kind of in the zeitgeist at the moment. So, um, so yeah, are, are you a big fan of horror just in general then? Yeah. Cause I think you can do a lot with it. You know, I, I think a lot of times, you know, you got to really care about the characters and structure the characters with, with horror. You can have a lot more fun and break a lot of rules, but still tell, you know, still tell a story. So um, it's liberating. You can shock people. You can try different things. So, yeah, I, I really love the horror crowd. They're, they're always up for, for a new experience. Well, I've, I've only got like a couple of questions left, but the, the sort of penultimate question, I just wanted to know, um, how has your friendship with Tommy evolved over the years? Do you, do, you, do you feel like it's a lot stronger than it was before? How is your relationship with Tommy? Um, I mean, it's changed, you know, in some ways and in, in other ways hasn't really changed at all. Um, you know, it's been so many years now where it's almost like you become kind of like family in a way. Um, you know, you don't need to see each other all the time. Um, cause you're, you know, you still have that bond and connection. So, you know, it hasn't, you know, it hasn't changed a lot. It's just been, you know, a lot more experiences and accomplishments and crazy times. And so, um, you know, it's still, you still get on the phone all these years later, it's still very similar. So I guess that's a good thing, you know, cause so many people change and leave and friendships come and go, but you know, there's still that same kind of connection, that goofy, humor that we can tap into that um hasn't changed i think that's really nice actually i think it's really nice like so much positivity <laughs> i don't know i keep saying it but it just feels like so much positivity has come out of this movie um and it, it kind of does feel like the the little movie that could um like you say it, it it doesn't it doesn't feel like it's a movie that should be this successful and yet people just really love it and embrace it and and i fully understand that now now that I've seen it, now that I've experienced everything around it, um, I, I fully appreciate and understand it. Um, obviously, I know that uh, your time is, is running out. So um, just my final question, and I, and I appreciate this is a little bit of a curveball, but um, one thing that I like to do on my podcast is I have something called uh, an obligatory Keanu reference. And I basically try and link every single episode that I'm doing with Keanu Reeves for no reason other than he's probably one of the nicest men in, in all of Hollywood. Um, so I just wanted to kind of ask, just as the obligatory Keanu reference for this episode, what's your favourite Keanu Reeves movie? Uh, I'm going to go with Point Break. Nice. That movie, you know, was just, it was fun in all the right ways, had, a, you know, just enough cheesiness, you know, and his... his chemistry with with Gary Busey was great um and it just was just I don't know it was the ultimate Keanu Reeves um you know he plays this quarterback and all that I thought it was just just you know peak late you know early 90s fun and I made you know made me a fan of his so oh that's awesome I'm so glad you're a fan 
anyway, um, yeah, so um, so I guess really the only thing that's left for me to say is, is thank you so much for coming on Verbal Diorama. I really appreciate this. Um, you you have a fan in life, a fan in life? No, you don't. A fan for life. <laughs> that's what I to say. Um, with me, and, and thank you so much for being the the first ever interview on Verbal Diorama. Oh, thank you, and and I appreciate you know all your support, and um, you know hopefully you'll enjoy the the future films that we put out. Obviously, such a huge huge thank you to Greg Sestero for being such a wonderful human being for taking the time to be interviewed on a Tuesday evening slash Tuesday morning for him to talk about The Room and The Disaster Artist and be so willing to come on some random British girls podcast. Greg Sestero, you are a truly wonderful human being. Just to kind of finish off on The Room because it may not have done very well on initial release in 2003, but its popularity and reputation continues to grow. The Disaster Artist, released in December 2017, has received positive reviews. It was chosen by the National Board of Review as one of the top films of 2017. And James Franco won a Golden Globe for his portrayal of Tommy Wiseau. It was also nominated for a Best Motion Picture, Musical or Comedy Golden Globe, as well as a Best Adapted Screenplay Academy Award at the 90th Academy Awards, which it lost to Call Me By Your Name. Logan was also up in that category too. Before we get into the final portion of this episode, the AMA, I just want to add that if you've seen one movie but not the other, they complement each other so well that I feel like not having a double feature, I feel like you're really missing out. The Disaster Artist is so good at portraying certain scenes shot for shot. No, it's not completely historically accurate and you don't need to see The Room to appreciate The Disaster Artist, but I am, I am so glad that I watched both. So Sam... Let this be the first time a woman tells you this. You were right. Okay, so I recently put out an episode 100 and I said that I wanted to do an AMA, which is Ask Me Anything. And I asked people online, I asked on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram if anyone had any questions. And I'm really hoping that I've picked up everyone's question. I apologise if I have not picked up your question. I did repeat, kind of retweet the tweet quite a few times. I'm pretty certain I do have everyone, but apologies if I have missed you because there were quite a few questions in the end. I think 26 questions in total. So quite a few questions. Some people have asked multiple questions. So anyway, I will get into the questions. They are not in any particular order. I've just basically copied and pasted <laughs> from social media. So, so let's start. Right, okay. So first question is from Brendan. Hi, Brendan. He says, when did you first fall for Keanu? Was it your first Keanu movie you ever saw or a specific character slash performance? Um, so the first Keanu movie that I ever saw was probably Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure or probably Bogus Journey. I can't remember which one exactly. It was definitely one of those because they were very age appropriate for me as a kid. I was low-key obsessed with Bram Stoker's Dracula when I was a teenager, which is obviously a bit more sexual in nature. I definitely didn't think, I definitely didn't see Bill and Ted and think, oh yeah, I really fancy Ted. And to be honest, as far as Dracula's concerned, I was always more interested in Gary Oldman's than Keanu Reeves, although I will stick up for his performance until the day I die. So honestly, it was probably seeing speed. I would have been maybe 16, 17-ish when I saw that. 
And, you know, there was just this super hot, confident, sexy guy. I've never been a huge fan of cropped hair on a guy, but Keanu just pulls it off. And also like that he's not super buff because I feel like he's attainable. Like, I feel like I could meet him up at any point. It's ridiculous, isn't it? But anyway, that would be it. That would be it. It would be speed. So anyway, Ian. Ian says, hi, Ian. He says, can I ask a controversial question? Yes, you may. Is there a film you really don't like? I realise your podcast is very positive and I really like that. Thank you. But I would like to know if there's something that bugs you about a film. Or less controversially, is there a film you didn't like when you first saw it and your liking for it has grown over the years? There are lots of films I don't like. Lots of them. I mean, there's, there's films that I think are very overrated. So I, the first example that always comes to my mind is Blade Runner. I feel like the original Blade Runner is very overrated. I don't think it's terrible, but I think it's really overrated. I actually prefer Blade Runner 2049. The I've done quite a lot of episodes recently on Robin Hood movies, and the Russell Crowe Robin Hood is absolute tosh. I really don't like that movie at all, which is such a shame because it had, I think it has such a great cast. The kind of the later Transformers movies are genuinely awful. I. I do like dumb popcorn movies. I think there's a lot of great dumb popcorn movies out there, but those movies are just really bad. That's just off the top of my head. I can't really think of anything that I would say I hate um, or that I really, really don't like. Probably that R Russell Crowe Robin Hood <laughs> is the best one I can think of. Is there a film I don't like, but my liking has grown? I mean, I've spoken on the podcast when I did Captain America, that when I first saw Captain America, the first Avenger, I didn't hate it. Like, I... I did not like it, but I definitely didn't think it was great. And then I've seen that multiple times since. And over the years, I've grown to love that movie. And now it really is one of my favourites in the MCU. I will admit, for a long time, I did not like Jason Statham movies. And only because I kind of felt that his movies were very samey, like he played the same characters over and over again. And I just didn't really get the whole Jason Statham thing. But I will admit that he has grown on me as an actor. I appreciate him a lot more now than I used to. And I think that's since I've seen movies like Spy and The Meg. I actually saw those movies because of him rather than in spite of him. And yeah, I thought both of those movies were super fun. And I especially liked him in Spy because I kind of liked the fact that he was sending himself up. I think one of the reasons I didn't like him so much was the fact that he felt a little bit too serious. I like that he's got a sense of humour. So, yeah, Jason, I now kind of like you. I never did before. Sam. Okay, so Sam is back, everyone. Hi, Sam. Sam says, one, what movie is Keanu at his peak sexiest? Sam, it's speed. It's always speed. And number two, what three films from your childhood do you think really created this love of film in you? Um, Jurassic Park was always the main one. I saw that with my grandparents and I was in such awe of that movie. I guess also movies like Labyrinth because Labyrinth really affirmed my love of practical effects and puppetry. Labyrinth was the movie that always made me think, how did they do that? And I was always so fascinated with how they did that. And Labyrinth is coming to the podcast, by the way. Of course it is. And a third one, I guess, Aladdin. So I'm talking about the animated Disney, Aladdin. And I think that was because it was animated and I've always been a big fan of animation, but Princess Jasmine was very forward-thinking, you know, for the time. And, and obviously it was kind of really what introduced me to Robin Williams. And I kind of just really grew to love him so much. And it was 
mainly for that movie. So yeah, I would say three films, Jurassic Park, Labyrinth and Aladdin. Number three, this is a really great question. This is, I think this is my favourite question, actually. Sam, you are my favourite this episode. They are making a Garfield-style movie about your life. What actress would get to play you and who would be the voice of Jess? So we'll start with the voice of Jess because she is, I mean, she is a slightly older lady. She's very distinguished. I kind of feel like it needs to be someone very stately, someone well-spoken, someone knowledgeable, someone formidable. I would kind of lean maybe towards Dame Judi Dench. I feel like she would be the perfect voice. I'm also quite interested in having a man voice Jess. I know that sounds really weird, but I would say like maybe someone like Patrick Stewart or Sir Ian McKellen or Morgan Freeman, you know, a really, a really distinguished, obvious voice, but in Jess's body. I would love that. I would absolutely love to be in a Garfield-style movie about me and Jess. Who would play me? I mean, I would really like it to be Charlize Theron, but I think she's far too beautiful. <laughs> and similarly with Rachel Weisz. I adore Rachel Weisz. I mean, they, both of those ladies are a little bit older. So if it had to be age appropriate, it would, I don't know, maybe someone like Natalie Portman or Mary Elizabeth Winstead or Anna Kendrick, maybe. I think Anna Kendrick would get my sense of humour. But if it had to be like authentically British, then it would have to be Emily Blunt. Because, I mean, obviously, the, the, the name is very similar. So that's one thing. But I adore Emily Blunt. I think she's amazing. And... Yeah, Jess would very much like to work with Emily Blunt. She's always told me that Emily Blunt is her favourite. And finally, he's got a fourth question. And he says, and up to you. Because this question is a little bit risque. And I am a clean language podcast. So, but he, here we go. We're going to go with it. Because it's it's not actually terrible language. Uh, it's just a little bit of a risque topic. He says, if the podcast really was verbal dickorama, which I am trademarking that name, what risque film would you cover first? And so basically, Sammy's asking me which adult movie I would cover on the podcast. I mean, obviously it'd be Horny Cheerleaders 5, but risque films. I mean, maybe, maybe something like Boogie Nights. Boogie Nights is kind of the only thing that really springs to mind when I think of risque. And I, I, you know... It is on my list, actually, to do Boogie Nights on this podcast, not that one. But it is really the most risque film I can think of that I would actually like to do. I mean, I wouldn't like to do, like, Fifty Shades of Grey because, honestly, I couldn't stand that movie. And I stopped it 20 minutes in because I thought it was atrocious. There you go. There's one for you, Ian. I couldn't think of Fifty Shades of Grey. Fifty Shades of Grey, I really didn't like. There you go. Apologies, Ian. I should have said that before. Yeah. Fifty Shades of Grey, I do not like, and I would not cover on the alternative verbal diorama either. And oh, finally, he says, I want to know if this is true. If a lot of people love each other, the world would be a better place to live. It is true. Tommy Wiseau was very right in that regard. Very on point. And just how often do you want to be featured in this episode, Sam? I, I still think you're awesome, but I think you're kind of trying to take over my podcast now. Right. So Jason. Hi, Jason. Jason says, stuck on a desert island and forced to watch one Keanu Reeves movie on loop for a month. Which one would you choose? Definitely not John Wick. I still can't watch that puppy scene. So... Definitely wouldn't be a John Wick movie. I mean, it might be. John Wick 3 is very enjoyable. I think I would have to go for the perennial favourite, Speed. I think Speed will be my answer for a lot of these Keanu-based questions. And I do apologise for that. I just adore that movie completely. Right, Kurt. Hi, Kurt. 
He asks, what was the motivating factor that made you start Verbal Diorama? It was clearly speed. I'm just kidding. The motivating factor was a few things. So 2018 was not a very good year for me. I actually came up with Verbal Diorama at the start of that year. And at the start of that year, things were not very great. And I thought I want to kind of put all of this kind of energy into something positive and get rid of the negative and... I decided that I was going to do the podcast and I never quite got around to starting it. So I basically got all of the social media up and running, but I never actually started the podcast. And because I was going through some not very nice things that year, it was just easier to not do it. And then Christmas that year, my granddad died. And that kind of really gave me the push that I needed to start the podcast. So the podcast started in February 2019. And honestly... I went to visit my granddad at the funeral home and you know when they're just kind of lying there and I basically had like a private moment in the room with him and I genuinely 100% said to him as he was laying in the funeral home that I was going to do a podcast and I was going to start it and yeah, so that's why I made a promise to my granddad after he had passed away. But a promise is still a promise. So, you know, my granddad was 95, so he probably wouldn't have listened. I'll be completely honest, but I know that he would be proud. So I constantly have that in the back of my mind that this was for my granddad. And my granddad was one of the grandparents who took me to see Jurassic Park. So it's a bit of a full circle thing in that my granddad helped me get this this love for movies and my granddad gave me the push. So I kind of think it's quite quite a nice story actually. I took something incredibly negative and I, well, I tried to turn it as positive as possible. So, right, next question. Um, it's the Don't You Want Me podcast and they ask, which of his co-stars do you think Keanu has the best on-screen chemistry with? I mean, obviously Sandra Bullock. There's is there any real question to that? I don't think so. I mean, I do think his chemistry with Lawrence Fishburne is quite good. And Halle Berry as well in the third John Wick movie. I really like them together. I wasn't a huge fan of him and Winona in, Dest in Destination Wedding. But I do think they're quite decent together in Dracula. Like I say, I will support that Dracula movie till my dying day. Overall, though, definitely Sandra. And I think that's one of the main reasons why Speed 2 just doesn't work. Because there's zero chemistry there. And, you know... How in the world does speed relate to a cruise ship when they're in the middle of the ocean? But, you know, whatever. I have such beef with that movie, but I'm really glad Keanu didn't do it because clearly he's got better taste. We have Ben from the Kunakomicon who asks, why is summer? I mean, why is any season? Really? Why is spring? Why is autumn? Why is winter? I don't know. But why is any season? Number two, because Hollywood likes two, why do corporate films feel so dull and samey these days? Well, I mean, really, I just think it's simple that Hollywood likes to make what they know will make lots of money. I mean, it is sad that original ideas are so scarce these days, for sure. But they're a business. It's all about money. It's all about making money and keeping business afloat and all of that. It's not about what we want to see. It's about what we want to see, if you know what I mean. That sounds really weird, but I think that's all it is. And finally, he asks, also, Padmavati, great Dipika Padakoni film, or greatest Dipika Padakoni film. And I'll be honest, I didn't actually know who Dipika Padakoni was. Uh, I looked her up. She's a beautiful lady. I've not seen any of her movies. So we'll just have to agree 
that you know what you're talking about and that Padmavati is the greatest Topeka Padakoni film. And I apologise profusely if I'm pronouncing her name wrong, by the way. I'm assuming, uh, maybe it's Padakone, actually. I don't know, but I apologise in advance if I've said her name wrong. Right, Andrew. Hi, Andrew. Andrew, he asks, oh gosh, I knew Andrew was going to ask these questions. Right, Andrew, why do you dislike Zack Snyder so much? Ah, okay. Okay, let's talk about this, Andrew. Right. So, honestly, I think he's overrated. I think he's overrated by some. I think he's kind of classed as this, like, untouchable messiah of movie making. I think he makes okay movies. There are other people who make better movies. I mean, there are other people who make worse movies. I don't dislike Zack Snyder. I've liked and enjoyed a lot of his movies. I thought Sucker Punch was fine. I thought Watchmen was fine. I've just never kind of clicked with anything that he's made and gone, oh my God, that's great. It's fantastic that you do, genuinely. If you love the guy, then that's amazing. And I'm so happy for you. But I just don't get why people think he's the second coming of cinematic Jesus. I appreciate that people like him. And you know, you like what you like. And if you like that, then that's amazing. But I also think that there are quite a few people in that particular fandom who use his name as an excuse to abuse other people. And that is never okay. There's a lot of negativity that I've seen on the internet surrounding Zack Snyder and his movies. And I'm just not really here for that. So that's the only reason. I wouldn't say I dislike the man. Absolutely not. But I'm just not a huge fan. That's all. He asks the second question. How should the Snyderverse be reintroduced? Well, Andrew... It should be with Birds of Prey 2. Uh, and I know that that's a controversial opinion, but it is one of the best movies that DC have done. So come for me, Twitter. And finally, number three, how far will England get in Euro 2020? Well, every time we do a huge football thing, I am not a football person, but every time we do, it's all that's coming home. And let's be realistic, it's probably not. I hope that we get into the semis at the very least. And if we win, I mean, that'll be nice, but chances are we probably won't. By the time this episode comes out, I guess we'll know if England are going to be in the semis. I have no idea. I don't really pay any attention to football. But I can't believe you asked me a football question. <laughs> I am not into sports whatsoever, but fine. Uh, I said ask me anything. So there you go. That is genuinely asking me anything. Right. Next question is from Derek. Hi, Derek. Derek asks, how do you go about selecting a movie? I'd love to know about your process. Well, it's usually just a feeling. Sometimes I like to try and make a link between episodes if I can. Sometimes that link is completely accidental, but usually it's just, I have a really good feeling about this movie. And obviously having an interesting history or legacy definitely helps. But you know, the process of making a movie is never easy. So most kind of fit that bill. I just trust my gut on what I choose. I obviously plan quite far in advance as well. I've never regretted anything that I've ever picked, but also I try not to peak too soon. And what I mean by that is I have a reserve list of the, the absolute classics. So, you know, like your Back to the Futures, your Aliens, all of that sort of thing that I will get to eventually, but I kind of don't want to show my hand too early, so, so to speak. I don't want to do all of those amazing movies so early on and then not leave anything to kind of come to later. So I like to have a decent split of movies. So, you know, movies that are classed as great, maybe some that are classed as not so great, successful movies, not so successful movies, 
huge movies, small movies, all sorts of different genres. I'm, I am really bad with genres in the sense that I have my favourites and I do tend to stick to them. A lot of the time, actually, I gauge interest by watching by watching movies randomly and then posting about them on Twitter and basically seeing what people think. That's how episodes like Big Trouble in Little China actually happened because I posted about it and people were so excited about Big Trouble in Little China that I thought, well, this would be a great movie to cover. And there's an upcoming episode, spoiler alert, upcoming episode on The Frighteners, which is coming soon. And that's how that's happening as well, because I said that I rewatched The Frighteners and a lot of people were really on board with that movie. And I thought, yeah, this is this is a great one to talk about. So that's kind of how it happens. I wouldn't say I have like a a sort of set plan of, oh, I'm definitely going to talk about this for episode X. It is literally just a feeling. And like I say, I am trying to open my scope a little bit, but I do tend to kind of focus on the stuff that I really, really enjoy, really think there's a value to. Right, this is actually a good follow-up question because this is from Andy. Hi, Andy. He would like to know, what's it going to take for you to review a movie that you really dislike? And... I mean, it's a very good question. I think the way that I work, I have to have a vested interest in what I'm talking about. Because if I don't have that interest, I don't have the spark. And honestly, I would be concerned that the episode would suffer if I didn't have that spark. I'm not opposed to trying new things. I just kind of believe in the adage, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So I guess, I mean, you can be passionate about something that you really dislike, but I would just worry that Spark wouldn't be there. And obviously there are some genres that I'm really not a fan of. You know, I'm looking at serious horror. There is very little chance that I will be doing any kind of serious horror just because I don't enjoy it. And if I don't enjoy it, then there's literally no point me talking about it. So I guess kind of going back to something like Fifty Shades of Grey, which I do genuinely dislike so much that I didn't even watch it, it would take a lot for me to talk about that movie. I don't know how the situation would come about that I would do that, but yeah, that's, that is an interesting question. But I hope I've answered it sufficiently for you, Andy. Right, Nicholas. Hi, Nicholas. Says, what film would you, Men in Black style, erase from memory to watch again for the first time? Ah, oh, absolutely, The Mummy. Absolutely. Seeing that again for the first time would be amazing. I, I genuinely can't even think how amazing that would be. It's, it is a movie that I love. It's a movie that I've watched so many times. I feel like it never gets old. I would relish the opportunity to watch that movie for the first time again. Maybe the first X-Men movie. Just because I was always a huge fan of the animated series as a kid. Seeing X-Men was always a dream come true for me. I do think that overall The Mummy has probably aged a little bit better than X-Men. And it's definitely not got someone so problematic behind the scenes. But yeah, I would probably go for The Mummy. And I know that's a really obvious answer, but it is the honest answer. I would I would love that. I, w- I really want that to happen, actually. Right, so Wizard Podcast asks, have you watched Psycho Gorman yet? And if not, why and when will you do so? I have not watched it. I didn't even know anything about it. I've since looked it up. It sounds interesting and I will try to hunt it down. I can't promise when, but if I see it on the streaming services, I will definitely give it a watch. Mark, hi Mark, asks, what was the first film you remember seeing at the cinema? Is it the film or the experience that lives with you most? 
Definitely Jurassic Park. The experience of going to the cinema with my grandparents, as I've said, is one that I will never forget. And obviously the movie was something that is so formative for my love of movies, for my love of special effects and going to the cinema. But obviously I think it's the experience as well because I went with my grandparents and it's just one of those memories that I have of them that will never kind of leave me because it, it was so important to me that they took me to the cinema that day. So really, no Jurassic Park, no verbal diorama. It's, it's basically where we're getting with these questions. And he also asks, what filming location would you most like to visit? I actually already have visited this location. I have always wanted to go to Hobbiton, and I did that in 2015, and it was mind-blowing. New Zealand is my favourite country in the world. Sam knows this. Sam is always featured in this episode. Yeah, New Zealand is amazing. It's a beautiful country. I would absolutely recommend that you go. But if you go to New Zealand, you have to go to Hobbiton because it's it's astonishing. It's beautiful. Oh, I adored, I adored my visit to Hobbiton. So yeah, I've already been to the filming location. And I, and I, next question, Laurel. Hi, Laurel. Laurel, I think you're the only lady in this AMA. And for that, I thank you. And I always appreciate you, Laurel. Laurel asks, what is it about the story that you want to tell that inspired you to move towards that format? Have you started the screenwriting course yet? Oh, okay. So I've I've cut this question a little bit too early, but basically I put online that I was going to be doing a screenplay, that I wanted to write a screenplay, that I had an idea. And this is, Laurel's question is based on this particular screenplay that I wanted to write. And I've written novels before. So I've participated in NaNoWriMo, I've won that three times. So I know what goes into a 50,000 word novel. Novels that are, you know, varying in quality, to be fair. And I guess I just kind of fancied a different format to a novel. I like to put my mind to new things. I like to learn new things. And I've always learned by doing rather than being told. So for me, I've got this idea. And I thought to myself, it would make a really interesting screenplay. So I decided to signed up to a course, which I have done. Uh, I have started it, but obviously my time has been a little bit limited. So I have started the course. Uh, I hope that I will finish it. But yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about it, actually. I just hope that I can find the time because unfortunately, with this podcast and with other things that I have going on, I tend to overdo it. So... But it's always going to be there. It's not something that I need to do in like, you know, today, tomorrow, in the week, you know, all of that sort of stuff. So it's going to be uh, an ongoing project, but I'm really very excited about it. So yeah, thank, thank you for asking that question, Laurel. And I think this is the final question. And it's from the On Second Watch podcast. And they ask, what equipment have you used to record your show over the course of 100 episodes? So basically different types. So I started out with uh, a gaming headset basically and then moved on to a Behringer USB microphone and recorded in a product called Wavepad and then last spring I upgraded to a Scarlett 2i2 studio which I really really like actually I'm using it right now I actually bought it to accommodate in-person guests and obviously I mean that didn't happen last year it's probably not going to happen anytime soon but I do have a spare microphone so, you know, you just never know. But I'm really happy with this equipment. It was something that I couldn't have afforded without the help of some incredibly generous patrons. So I'm always so grateful to them. And yeah, I'm 
always just trying to kind of make what I do a little bit better. So hopefully the audio quality is decent, but you know, a couple of years time, I'll probably upgrade again. So, but yeah, if you want to know exactly what I bought, then I'm more than happy to tell you, uh, more than happy to send you links and stuff. But yeah, anyway, I think, I think that's the end. That is the end of the questions and this podcast. So I guess, thank you for listening. As always, I would love to hear your thoughts on The Room and The Disaster Artist and the AMA, although don't give me thoughts about that because that's ridiculous. And the next episode, as I said previously, because I didn't let anyone know that I was doing this, apart from obviously Sam and Nick and Greg, the next episode is on Deadpool. And Deadpool actually does acknowledge that The Room exists because... Deadpool gifts Carol Danvers a copy of The Room. Basically, it turns out that she was after Room with Brie Larson, which is a very, very different movie. It just has a slightly similar name. And obviously, Sam introduced the episode so beautifully. And so the only person who could finish this episode with the and finally was Nick. Everybody betray me. I fed up with this world. Thank you, Nick. Thank you, Sam. Thank you, Greg. Thank you everyone for listening. Oh, bye Mark.